some help. But is there is there a particular jump that sticks out to you? Um, I have a few, maybe a top five or something. But um, there is obviously the the classical one that really put me on the map is in 2011. Um, I skied a peak outside my hometown of Mojev in the Alps, um, and uh, you know, beautiful spring day, fresh powder, blue sky. It hadn't really snowed in three weeks; just a little dusting, you know, a few days before. But it's um, it's a west facing face, so it doesn't really get much sun on it until late afternoon. So the snow is incredible. And as I skied down, I actually triggered an avalanche and uh, escaped the avalanche by ski base jumping of a 600 foot cliff. And uh, and landed smoothly and uh i luckily as well i i cut it all on gopro and um that was the first viral video for gopro and it really obviously boosted my career but it was today's episode we on the 38 challenge podcast we have matthias Giroux. Otherwise known as Super Frenchie, <laughs> Matthias is a world record holding base jumper, professional skier, TEDx speaker, and not an adrenaline junkie. Uh, <laughs> Matthias has a short film called Adrenaline Sucks, which premiered in Spain this week, right? Is yeah, that, that's correct. Yep, it just premiered in Bilbao, Spain. So. <laughs> awesome. Hell yeah, man. And it's going to come to the States here soon. And when it does, we will be pushing it um, and we will get you that information. But Matthias, Super Frenchy, thank you so much for coming on the pod, brother. It's an honor to have you here. Thanks, Brent. Thanks for having me. It's uh, always great to uh, to have a good chat with uh, like-minded, thorough individuals. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we're both a part of the Uncommon Group, which is a, a group of um, high-performing athletes, executives, you know, veterans, former special operators, pilots. And you are certainly uncommon. Um, a man, <laughs> a man of a man of many firsts. And why don't you describe to the people listening, kind of who you are and and what you do? Because I did. I binge watched um, Super Frenchy last night. I watched your short film. I watched the TED Talk. And did you do some crazy shit? So why don't you explain it to the uh, to the audience? Uh, well, it's it seems crazy, but it was a logical and intentional approach to be able to 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 do what I do but uh, in a nutshell so I'm a start as a professional skier and then you know you jump off you know 30 40 50 60 foot cliffs the landing started to hurt quite a bit and uh, I eventually wanted to add a parachute to my skiing so I could ski things that I could not survive otherwise and I wanted to base jump since I was a little child base jumping means jumping off a static object like a, a cliff a building a radio tower anything tall enough that is not an aircraft with an unopened parachute. So you free fall off an object, open your parachute, and land safely. And so these two sports, combining skiing and base jumping, all of a sudden created this sport called ski base jumping that only a few people did in the world. And combining those different mountain tools, because that's the way I see it, you know, skis, parachutes, ropes, harnesses, whatever, they're all mountain tools. So mixing all your mountain tools allow you to to you know reach a level and realm that has never really been reached by many people in the mountains or only reached by a few you know and so by combining sports i've had the privilege to do multiple firsts in the mountains uh, i was the first person to ski base jump off the matterhorn uh ski base jump of mont blanc the highest peak in western europe 
um, the first person, I was not the first person to ski base the Eiger, but I was the first person to complete the Alps trilogy, Eiger, Matterhorn, Mont Blanc, which are the three uh, most prestigious peaks in the Alps. And uh, so yeah, ski base all three of those. Um, and yeah, I've done multiple first descents, skiing, first base jumps and first ski base jumps across the world. And I'm fortunate uh, to to call it my job. Yeah, man, it's it's awesome. And watching that last night, I was like, I want to do this, but like, I also don't want to at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you still? I, I would never recommend it to anybody. Yeah. Well, it's the greatest thing you could do. I also, I'll often say that it's also the dumbest thing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of these days, man, we'll have to get together and like, I want to jump off something because it here at the 38 challenge right we we believe in doing things that make you feel uncomfortable right and, and relating that Perfect. to to vulnerability so i feel like um yeah we'll have to see what that would look like because i would definitely need some some training and s some help but is, is there is there a particular jump that sticks out to you um i have a few maybe a top five or something but um there is obviously the, the classical one that really put me on the map is in 2011, um, I skied a peak outside my hometown of Mojev in the Alps. Um, and, uh, you know, beautiful spring day, fresh powder, blue sky. It hadn't really snowed in three weeks, just a little dusting, you know, a few days before. But it's, um, it's a west-facing face, so it doesn't really get much sun on it until late afternoon, so the snow is incredible. And as I skied down, I actually triggered an avalanche and uh, escaped the avalanche by ski base jumping of a 600 foot cliff and uh and landed smoothly and uh i luckily as well i i cut it all on gopro and um that was the first viral video for gopro and it really obviously boosted my career but it was it was one of those moments as as i was flying away from the cliff you know i was under my parachute skis on and my friend was speed flying which is a, a small high performance paraglider he was flying right over me get the view in as I was flying away, I remember I, I turned, you know, turned around to look at the snow falling off the cliff, you know, the avalanche just pouring off this 600 foot cliff. It was a massive avalanche. And I remember telling myself, look at this as long as you can, because you'll never see this ever again in your life. And when I landed, I truly had a taste of what I like to call the, the fourth dimension, you know, this, this dimension that is beyond this world in a way but a part of this world you know it's when you walk that edge between potentially going too far and losing it all but also strongly <laughs> pursuing that 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 quest towards the the absolute you know the ultimate having the the highest moment of your life but on the verge of probably losing it all and that's where that's what i call you know that's what i always say that's where the fruit is and that fruit is the fourth dimension it is that ultimate dimension of living and being an interconnection between mind body and heart you know and that moment was it for sure um i've i've, I've been really you know that's why i say that i'm super privileged to and, and fortunate to have this as a job you know i don't come from from money or anything a lot of the comments i see online is like oh well i'll do this for as rich too it's like no you're missing the point man you know like i struggle every step of the way to be to become who I've become and who I am now, um, but the the the, um, the biggest gift that I have is that I repeatedly get to evolve in that fourth dimension with my profession. 
And that's amazing. You know, first ski base jump from the top of Mont Blanc. I waited eight years for it. Finally, the, the conditions lined up. Climbed for two days with 50 pounds on my back. Got that descent with needy powder, perfect blue sky, perfect jump. There was no cliff tall enough on Mont Blanc, so I had to jump off an ice wall. And that ice wall since then broke. And so it'll never be jumpable ever again. So I cut it the last time possible. So that's another incredibly magical moment after focusing on it for so many years. And last June, I got to ski base of the Aiguille du Goutte uh, on Mont Blanc as well. It's kind of like the shoulder of Mont Blanc. And I waited 10 years to do it. And it's also the deadliest peak in the Alps, the deadliest uh, spot in the Alps. And uh, and it's it's just having developed the skills to be able to now do things that I'll do only once in my life to do with total serenity mm-hmm. and confidence is the greatest gift. It's yeah, uh, yeah. It, it took it took years, you know, a big crash, a lot of introspection, a lot of facing your your strong side, open to your uh, weak side as well, and to be able to solidify yourself as a whole as a human being, but now allowing you to <clears throat> to find the the balance between um, a passionate, tender heart with a strong unbending mind yeah man that's been the journey (laughs) yeah yeah and i as i was watching um adrenaline sucks like your a point that you always draw back to is your your dedication to the craft right the preparation that it takes the, the mindset that you have to be on so it's not like you're just you know this is a career and a profession which you have dedicated your entire life to and and you've done some amazing things but it's not like you're lucky like you've made this this happen for yourself and you are lucky to to follow your passion and your purpose but you've you've chased this dream relentlessly and that's why you've been able to make it to make it happen do you still what does it feel like now like do you still get nervous like what you know what does it feel like before you're doing some of these um some of these fleets oh i get nervous every time um you know fear is a constant variable in my field that you learn to uh, accept you don't conquer fear you know you could at best ignore it and push it to the side um you don't manage it you could at best manage your anxiety eventually you know (laughs) <laughs> to become a true super Frenchie, I had to, <laughs> which is obviously a parody of a superhero, which is, doesn't even exist. But uh, uh, no, I'm not a super Frenchie. It's just a funny name. But in order to, I guess, to reach my, um, what I see my my highest level of, of, of performance, I had to fully accept fear as, um, as um constituent force of of my of of my endeavors and um yeah it's uh that's been that's been a a big part of it has been accepting fear and through dedication and there's sometimes i'm on the edge of a jump and uh you know i have a hard time committing right you know like my gear's right everything's right conditions are good and somehow just you know to give that that countdown three two one i'm I mean, I'm terrified every time. I'm probably probably even more scared now because I almost know too much, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I lost too many friends and 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 got hurt myself too, and uh, almost died myself several times. And so you know too much, so it's harder to commit because you know how bad it can go. <laughs> uh, 
but at the same time yeah out loud sometimes i i, re- I actually say out loud this is what you dedicated your life to before going and every time i say this out loud everything falls into place and the second i push off i'm like oh hell yeah this is this is totally fine this is all good you get this you know like this is what you're supposed to do with your life Absolutely. and it's yeah it's an incredible feeling but the only way you can get that is to go through the trials and tribulations of many years of um um self-creation you know you create yourself and uh it's, I can't remember the exact quote from Carl Jung, but pretty much he said that um, a man has to go through the infernos of his passions, you know. And so I constantly go through the inferno of my passions. But, and, and actually Carl Jung said, you have to go through the infernos of your passions to overcome them. But for me, it's like, it's not necessarily about overcoming them. It's, I'm kind of like a hamster in a wheel. I keep doing my thing, but... Uh, um but yeah i i constantly throw myself into the fires of passion and i think it's uh because i do think passions are the meaning to existence there's no meaning to existence but what is the meaning to your existence well the meaning to my existence is to live a full passionate fulfilled life Mm. and i think that's kind of what a lot of people seek whatever their tool is whether it's art or work or dedication to their family or whatever it is or a blend of all of it you know so yeah, I think in the end, it's all about meaning. What is your why? You know, why do you go to uh, to battle? You know, and why did you put yourself into deadly situation where you had to save yourself? You know, kill people, and 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 watch your friends die. You had a why that was strong enough to put yourself through that gruesome experience. Mm-hmm. And I have a why to put myself through. Um, you know, something that is could be viewed as, as selfish or not necessarily useful to society. But at the same time, I think being a fulfilled person is useful to society in the end because you're focusing on on growth, your personal growth, but also the growth of others instead of focusing on drama and negativity and and uh, and engendering a, 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 a wheel of destruction around you. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, and I I feel that not obviously my our passions are very different, but it's like I I found my passion and my purpose after after my brother died by suicide, right? And so sometimes your your passion is um, and your purpose is given to you in in not ideal circumstances, right? The worst circumstances of your life sometimes or what are what drive the things that you love so i can we can definitely relate to on that sense and and also when you have this passion and and you are chasing it there's a lot of highs and there's also low lows that's what i'm finding right like there's there's you know where there's passion when when you're not being fulfilled by it like everything feels just off right and like it's 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 a weird feeling to describe, but I'm sure you know um, exactly that feeling. Yeah, um, you know the highs and the lows, and when you experience the highest highs, you're gonna experience the lowest lows too. And um, I, you know, I call it you know, like you know, it's it's this the what we don't really see is you know we hear about it in professions like you know like yours and things like that, but with action sports, we only see the the raw action and doing the crazy stuff and all that, but we don't see the the blue Mondays. And you do have the blue Mondays. And the first time I had it, 
uh, I was like, what the hell? Is there something wrong with me? I just did this. And I feel almost depressed afterwards, you know? Right. It's no, it's just your body rebooting and your mind resetting, you know? And uh, I used to overthink all that stuff. Now I just accept it. And uh, <clears throat> sorry. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It's just your body processing. Um, powerful moments um, that are incredibly potent. So, mm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, to go back to you finding uh, <clears throat> purpose and and, and uh, awareness of your passions through losing your brother. Um, you know, for me, I already had these passions. What losing my sister did was reinforce them and actually help me commit to actually reaching my goal. So it was, a, it was a trigger. It was a trigger for you in one way. It was a trigger for me in another as well, right? And um, But I think while it was probably one of the most traumatic experiences in my life, it was probably one of the most inspiring as well. And uh, it's hard to see it at the time, but um, it, 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 it was in many ways, their deaths make us more alive. And um, there's something really powerful about that because it is force-fed growth and introspection. And um, I've always been kind of like in in my head kind of person, you know, even as a kid, very, you know, extroverted and and outgoing and high energy, but really overthinking everything, you know, at the same time, which is generally like an, I guess, an introverted, you know, <laughs> trait. But uh, I guess I'm a extroverted introvert <laughs> if that makes sense maybe yeah. but um and but i think a lot of people are afraid of introspection you know they're afraid to dig deep and just really it's not confronting your thoughts it's just really exploring them and digesting them and going through that thorough yeah thorough digestion and 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 losing someone you love or close one is it's gruesome it's it's super painful but uh um it is it is an opportunity in the end, man. You know, it's, uh, you know, I was talking with Adam Biletsky. Uh, he's one of my teammates on Black Yak, my clothing sponsor for mountaineering and all that. And he's done, you know, 8,000 meter peaks in the, oh, so I think I have a phone ringing and I'm trying to turn it off. Hold on. I hope it, it can you hear it in your recording? No, you're no. good. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Sweet. Sorry. No, um, and uh, Adam Biletsky always says that he, uh, you know, he does 8,000 meter peaks in the winter solo, you know, 26,000 peaks, 26,000 foot peaks solo. And he always says uh, that he carries his dead friends in his backpack. Mm -hmm. So all his, the, the people that he loved, that he lost, like give him, if they die in the mountains, they give him the knowledge on how to survive a situation, but they also empower him to, uh, to, to keep doing what he's doing. So, and, and I think, yeah, losing my sister was definitely one of those moments. So I, uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think about her daily, and I think about her in the mountains a lot. And it's still, you know, I lost her 20, 21 years ago, uh, and uh, it's still a, it's still a, it's still a driving force in the mountains. So yeah, yeah, it's important it's, to remember that. Yeah, I think <laughs> it, it is important to re remember, and it's also very important to talk about it. Obviously, both of our siblings dying by suicide. A lot of people will will dance around the subject, but I think it's yeah. super it's super important that we just talk about it openly and honestly, and um, you know, things that we saw and and how we're able to carry on their legacies through 
through pursuing our our passions right and, and our purpose and for me it's like i started this in memory of my brother and to honor yeah. him but now it's it's far beyond that right <clears throat> it's it's <laughs> it, it's using that story and using um his memory to help other people and to inspire other people to to seek help so um i guess what do you remember from that time after after losing your sister oh it's um it was yeah i could actually summarize the the time after myself obviously it's been over 20 years you know so it's been a long time when when she when she killed herself she uh, she was 27 i was 18 and i was the only kid at home so right away you know i was i'd blown my knees so it was, was kind of like a slow summer for me you know because she she uh she died in July and um, I had blown my knee that winter. So I was going through my rehab and working at a greenhouse factory, just sorting metal pieces, you know, nothing really exciting at all. And I get a call that, you know, she, she killed herself. So instantly the first thing I thought was, I was pissed. I was like, what a bitch. You know, it's the first thing I said, right. which is incredibly, you know, selfish to say, or, or, you know, mean, but then after that, right away, it was kind of like, you know, anger led to numbness. It's almost like someone punched me in the head and you're just like, you're just panicking mm-hmm. the days. But then I got home and I had to snap out of it because my dad couldn't handle the news. So he went straight to work and uh, he lost his sister the same way he lost his daughter. So it was just, she was, you know, my aunt uh, jumped out of her window in Paris, you know, and the same way my sister did. And so my dad was just, it's too much to handle. I just went straight to work. My mother, um, not a, very nurturing uh mom and uh so i came in and and i had to and she just handed me everything she's like all right you gotta call this and call the police and this and that and blah 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 and she was just you know crying and just pretty much delegating everything to me which whatever it's you know it's 18 it's fine i didn't question it so i had to call the the cops book the, the appointment in the mortuary to go recognize the body um had to we were living south of france i had to book some train, train tickets to go to paris and then the most horrific thing was I had to call my other sisters and give them the news. And that's something that, that tortured me for years. You know, I opened it for the open up about it for the first time, uh, uh, two summers ago, summer, a year and a half ago to my oldest sister. And I broke down just telling her how hard it was to tell her. And, uh, you know, cause you call someone and, you hear on the, on the other on the on the other line. They're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, man. Oh, I, I can't I can't talk right now. I'm busy. I gotta do this and that's like, No, no, I gotta talk to you. It's like, no, I can't, I'm about to go in a meeting and it's like, and you have to catch the attention. And so I couldn't tiptoe around it, and um, and I told her right away. It's like, uh, BB was the nickname of her sister. It's like, BB made a big mistake, and then she stopped. She's like, what, what? Because we knew she was depressed and she tried to commit suicide several times and all that. So, and uh. And instantly I had her attention, but she, and then I, but I couldn't, I didn't have time to explain, you know, take my time to bring up the news. So I just bombarded her with her. I was like, uh, she killed herself. And all of a sudden I, I could hear a gasping air on the phone, like, <gasps> you know, and that, that just tortured me forever to, to know that I had, I retained that piece of information that I had no choice, but to give her, but that piece of information, even though I wasn't responsible for it or anything. I was responsible for passing on the message was going to destroy her life in many ways, you know, or mm-hmm. end a chapter of it and start a new one. And that, that was really, really brutal. And, um, so that's, that's what happened right after. But then after that, it was a summer of, 
you know, um, loneliness, you know, being alone among uh, many people around you in a way, you know, you feel lonely and, uh, which is fine, you know, it's fine to be lonely, but, um, it was a good time of digestion and introspection, but, um, uh, yeah, so I guess it was anger, then numbness, then, you know, the trauma of sharing and you know, how to go and then go to Paris and recognize the body and all that, but it actually helped closure for me. It helped just identify and be like, okay, now I see she's dead. It's not like I'm going to be at home in three months and because I didn't see her body, expect her to knock at the door at any moment. You know what I mean? So I mean, like, oh, it was just a bad joke, you know, like, you know, you, your mind goes into like a bunch of directions. Yeah. And uh, after that, then I, I reflected a lot on, you know, you know, what drives you, what keeps you going. Um, obviously, my passions really solidify my direction in life. And that was a really important why for me to keep going, you know, why to wake up in the morning when you know you're going to fucking die someday. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why do you get up in the morning? And so, and I was re going through my knee, you know, rehab after my surgery. And, and, but I was still, you know, dragging my ass to the gym every day, just working out and getting ready for winter, you know, and reach my goals. And, uh, but while, you know, it was excruciating every morning, the first thing you, you, the first thing I thought was, where the fuck do you get up? You're going to die anyway. So that's the thought I had for a while. So that was, that was painful. And, uh, and, um, I mean, it was more than painful, doesn't really describe it it was just more like a state of just you just in between worlds you know between the world of the living and between the world of the dead you know and uh mm. and uh but after that i reflected a lot on suicide and um you know one of the things that i learned through my life is that you can do whatever you want with your life therefore you can do whatever you want with your death you know and uh i learned to i had to learn to um accept her actions right because we have no other choice but i eventually learned to even respect it so i fully respect what she did it was the only outcome she could see and uh, i think people commit suicide for many different reasons right uh and uh in her case i think he you know it reflected many things we had uh yeah, like a mentally and emotionally abusive mom and she took definitely the brunt of that and i think for her it was just like enough is enough i think it was an act of not only rebellion but also self-empowerment um uh, you know i reflected it a lot you know i'm not trying to romanticize suicide and you know tell people that's what they should do but what i'm saying is that yeah. i respect it and is you know i chose to do something completely different with my life you know and uh i but i yeah i guess that's the state so i went through anger numbness acceptance and respect these are the stages that i went through uh, as I digested the the suicide of my sister. Mm. Yeah, and I think there's no there's no right or wrong way to grieve. And I think one of the important points which you made and which we always talk about is, you know, that you had to have that uncomfortable, vulnerable conversation with with your siblings, right? And that was yeah. one of the hardest <sighs> things that you've ever done. Yeah, and, for sure. And you've done a lot of very uncomfortable and challenging <laughs> things and it and it just goes to show and our mission at the 38 challenge is like there's nothing harder than than having uncomfortable conversations there's nothing harder than than asking for help there's there's nothing harder than being vulnerable and i think that 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 story is is a great example of that and as i'm you know watching as i you know have been have been watching super frenchy and your ted talk and the short film that's coming up 
as you as you talk about just your passion and your purpose and your your profession there's so many things that align with our mission right of of doing hard things and comparing that to to being vulnerable how would you how would you define vulnerability to yourself uh vulnerability to myself is well, I don't necessarily know if vulnerability is necessarily the right terminology because I think for me, I call it, I think, um, the strength of honesty, hmm. which is always hard. We, we're not always honest with ourselves or with others. We postpone sometimes the hard conversation with ourselves or with others, right? But I think it's viewed as vulnerable, maybe from the outside, because we 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 opening ourselves, right? So you you just dropping that armor that you built around you, which we all have one at some point or another, right? You know, which I guess is why we're vulnerable because we can be, we have no protectionism anymore, right? There's not there's not a wall around us, and and I guess the anybody that wants to see just could come and attack us in a way too. It's a very medieval concept, I think, but. Um, but no, I, 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 you know, I like the, 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 the idea of it for me, I, I think about it more, yeah, as the strength of honesty and which is always, it sometimes takes a, a long time to have that strength, you know, or to find the mean to be honest or how to do it, you know, and, um, could be in your relationship, you know, with, with, you know, with your spouse, having that hard talk, feeling that you, you're drifting apart and you can't connect with each other. And while the only way to do that is to, shed that armor and just be like, this is, this is how I feel. And I want to feel you too. You know, I want to, my heart to resonate with your heart to be able to have this. And I think that's, that's what's beautiful about it. I think it's vulnerability. I think is, is yeah. Um, the strength of honesty and uh, higher resonance with yourself and others. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that definition is, cause I think we need to change the way we talk about vulnerability because right now yeah. it's seen as this is this this word that represents weakness but right as you just mentioned it's the first word that comes to your mind is strength and it's the strength of of being honest right and 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 tearing down those those walls and as i see you prepare for these amazing experiences and these amazing fleets like i see vulnerability and I see strength when you're doing that how would you how would you how does vulnerability play into into your profession into your passion well it's I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're able to see this in the images because it's vulnerability is a huge part of it because it's honesty and if you're not if you're not straight up with yourself when you do this about your mental or physical state at sooner or later, I mean, you know, if you, it's not even later, it's just like you'll die sooner than you're supposed to. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and cause you can't necessarily lie to yourself, you know, you get, you know, you can get blinded by ambition or desires or projection of self onto others or, uh, whatever your motivation is behind what you do, if it's not. And that's why I wrote this open letter and adrenaline sucks is because having and and what i talked a lot about during my tedx talk was that 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 
that honesty of dedication is super important because it is it it's it's relying on the purity of the act to be able to be as efficient and powerful as possible if you if you don't have that vulnerability you're probably doing what you're doing for the wrong reasons and i think for base jumping that's a mountain i don't even want to just isolate base jumping i think for mountain sports right unforgiving sports in unforgiving unforgiving activities in unforgiving environments you got to be honest with yourself and be straight up you know i you know one of the things that i you know we all identify our key uh you know um concepts or or ideas or things we want to live by right and for me it's always this this you know i i want to live a life of purpose passion and pragmatism and i think that encompasses you know i guess three elements of what we can call vulnerability or the strength of honesty or whatever you want to label it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Purpose, passion and pragmatism. That's good. It's important. And one of the things you said, which I love is that if you are, if you are not vulnerable, right, you can't, you can't achieve the outcomes that you want to, and you'll die quicker. Like, I think that that's such a powerful that's such a powerful image of what suicide could be, right? And, and mental health. Cause it's like, Hey, if you're not willing to accept the strength of honesty and accept where your weaknesses are and where things might go wrong and where you need to ask for help and you need to improve, if you don't bring those things to the surface and have that sense of, of strength, then it's a, it's a battle you're going to lose. Right, so so we have to show that vulnerability. True, but a, a, again, you know, again, and I'm not because we both, you and I, both suffered from losing someone to that would love to suicide, right? But you know, look, you know, sometimes it's it's it's. For I mean, sometimes it's like for everyone who commits suicide, I think is they see it as the only outcome, unfortunately, right? But in some cases, you know, it, it's it's I, I look at Hunter S. Thompson, you know. He was just a strong person. He knew he was condemned with his cancer and stood up one day and be like, I choose to end my story on my own terms. So I can't, you know, I'm not romanticizing it, but I respect it. And I think it's, again, we can do whatever we want with our lives. We can do whatever we want with our death. But if someone commits suicide out of trauma and they could have been helped, absolutely, you know, help them, you know. If 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 you choose to end your life because you know you have a terminal disease and you just you just want to end it, I I respect it. You know, it's 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 you have the right to to do this to end your suffering. You know, but if you're going through a suffering of trauma that could be, if you're going through any kind of suffering that could hopefully be um, alleviated, you know, and 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 stopped, absolutely, we gotta help. You know. And it's, but the problem is, and that's the thing, that's the thing that was really frustrating with my sister is that I wanted to help her, you know, the punk little brother that was trying to, that was not necessarily diplomatic, you know, there's definitely a lot of things that I told her that I, re, I regret, you know, now as a, as an adult, but, um, you know, he came from a good place to, to tell her like, wake the fuck up, you know, like you don't have to live this life with depression and, you know, and, and, 
in doom and despair even though you know i'm i'm, I'm a huge metal lover and i listen to a lot of doom metal you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that's another thing but it's that was a frustrating thing for me because i had this 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 existential fire inside of me but i couldn't feel that inside of her you know be like wow and so i was trying to light that fire in many ways i, I could to give her that that why beyond any kind of suffering that you're experiencing you know and uh so so yeah it's it's I've learned to respect it, uh, but if we can, if we can help, we have to, of course, you know. So yeah, this, I think this is going in a direction that you didn't necessarily expect, you know. Out of this no, 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 yeah, yeah. no, no, man. I, <laughs> but I, I embrace it. I think it's it's all about our different experiences and and perspective. Because with my brother, like he was, you know. I guess similar to you, right? Like he, he was described as like a, a superhero, right? That's how I saw him. That's how a lot of people saw him. And because of that, he had this mask that he never took off. Right. And, and yeah. so I think through the different experiences and also Matt throughout his whole life experienced injuries to the head, um, through football and through his time in, in, in the Marine Corps. And so I think it's the, I think it's the, the, just the different perspectives, right? Which is that's life, right? And like, we're not, we're not always going to see things through the same lens. And I think where vulnerability can help with suicide, especially in the veteran population and with men is that people need to understand that, that there is nothing stronger than seeking help. If you are holding those things back inside and are not willing to tell other people about it. Yeah, it you know it, I think there's there's definitely something cultural. I think there's something generational as well. You know, uh, but being European, you know, I'm French, but living in America, I have dual citizenship now. But uh, you know, the 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 macho, strong American man, you know, it's kind of like this picture that we we you know that young men in America are being forced fed. You know, and it's you know for me, I think it's it's. Growing up in Europe, it's, you have you have the macho man, you know, in Europe as well, you know, and all that. But it's also we express our emotions a lot more, I think, overall. And I think it, it's it's not a sign of weakness because you're expressing your emotions. You know, you are you feel the way you feel. So it is. It's what you do with it that matters, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and if you just repressing all these 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 emotions and thoughts. You're letting it fester and you're sending yourself into this this spiral of of just yeah just fermentation you know and you're not gonna help yourself you know by by, by doing this it's by trying to be tough and not open up you're actually becoming a burden to yourself and others so just just talk about it you know mm-hmm. stop stop being just by trying to be tough and not impose on others you're actually doing the opposite you know, by trying to hold it all in. So just, just have these open conversations. It's going to be better for everyone involved. It's going to be better for your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, your relationship with yourself, with your friends, everybody. Just just open up. But it's true also sometimes in a situation where you have the person that just, you know, pours like like a fountain all the time and, un, you know, unloads their, 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 their burden on you. But it's like, it's it's better to open up and it's just hold it all in because then again it's gonna be just um you're just starting a negative spiral not only just for yourself but for everybody else so just just talk about it you know right. 
just talk about it. It doesn't mean that you want to talk about it with anybody, right? You're not going to be grocery shopping and tell the cash register, you know, the cashier will be like, uh, oh, well, you know what? I'm having a real shit day and I'm, you know, digesting this and this and that. No, no, obviously there's a time and a place, right? Talk with someone you trust, someone you believe, someone you can bounce ideas off, you know? And I think maybe that's why some people can't open up because they they don't know who to open up to, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I never felt a need to seek, you know, therapy or things like that, even though some friends did through losing loved ones, because I've had the privilege to be able to talk openly with people that I trusted within within my environment. And I still do, you know, and, uh, and yeah, and I, I think there's, there's, this you know, American men need to stop that they thinking that they have to be these, these, these macho emotional vault, you know, just talk about it, man. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and also for, for people, for, for people who are listening to the podcast right now who might be in that deep depression right in in those dark times like people who can't see out of it like there is a way out of it and there are people who care about you and you can talk to someone about it doesn't mean talk to anyone about it because that's not what vulnerability is but there is someone who cares about you i care about you um and so i don't want anyone to think that through our conversation today that you can't reach out for help, right? Like there's taking that first step is how, is how you lead to growth and, and how you grow. So, you know, my question for you is like, let's, let's get vulnerable. Like what has been, I don't know if it was your, I don't know if it was the loss of your sister or, or when this moment was, but recall a time where kind of you were in that, that darkness and, and, and depression because it's important for people to know that we've all been there. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's. I would say losing my sister was the second darkest time of my life, not the first one. The first one was um, I'm, um, I'm finalizing my divorce right now, actually. You know, and it's um, and it's 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 actually you know uh, a good thing to to set each other free. You know, but it's it was for for years uh, couldn't. I came home and all I could, you know, you know, feeling that I would live this 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 uh, blooming life, only resided in my profession and my passion, which is probably why I put so much also pressure on my objectives. It's just you know, it served a purpose. I could reach, you know, these these um, seemingly unforgiving and impossible goals, right? But then coming home was just, you know, we, you know, my wife, ex-wife, and I would such and completely opposite pages we could not connect anymore she i think isolated herself in a emotional uh tower to protect herself you know thinking she might lose her husband every time he leaves home and then because of not you know we you got to have connection with people and being have that openness and being able to to talk and, and connect you know deeply in your heart and your mind you know and and your body and everything but then i then she isolated herself in this emotional vault. I isolated myself in my vocation. Our son remained the only bridge between the two of us. Luckily, you know, we love our sons on the same page as far as parenting. And she's she's a solid mom and I'm a solid dad. So that's good. You know, our son is blooming. So, but that for years, just being stuck in this situation, not knowing how to solve it, how to evolve and feeling them just stagnating. And just, I would land back at the airport, you know, in my town here and 
think about oh, when is my next trip going to be mm. you know I would be home and just put everything on standby and that was just so hard for me because um really you know my existential pillars really are the things that are super important for me are obviously true love fatherhood and my vocation you know and and forever all I had were was my son my vocation but because I couldn't really connect with the family environment the way I wanted to because of a decaying relationship um it was inc incredibly painful you know and so I was just in this in this just spiral and maze you know I'd, I'd come home from a trip and I'd wake up at four in the morning and listen to some of the most gruesome darkest black metal and just write you know and poor ideas and work on projects and things like that and so all of a sudden my three you know existential pillars that should be all balanced to form I guess an equilateral triangle <laughs> um, all of a sudden I had I felt like I only had one you know I had my my son who I love but I felt guilty for not embracing family life because I didn't have a flourishing relationship so everything my happiness only resided in fulfillment only resided in my vocation you know mm -hmm. and and since then actually you know uh separating and and getting divorced and you know learning to co-parent all that just really opened me up again and by being able to you know to talk with with people that i trust and to also just um go deep within my you know my uh my, my passions and my role as a father and 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 now I feel you know I'm so much better out of this you know just because but I definitely felt super lost for a long time because I didn't know how to confront or approach the problem or solve it you know mm -hmm. and that was the one thing that was frustrating in the I mean frustrating I guess in the movie Super Frenchy is you know 2019 when I went back to the cliff where I crashed you know we were pretty much starting to fall into this we were in that you know co-parenting mode you know and just really isolated but you know we opened up to the the director chase who made the movie but i don't think we expressed it really eloquently enough so he kind of painted the picture that he wanted of the family life you know but really focused on the athletic journey which i respect that's totally fine you know um but uh but it for me i can't i can't stand by the whole if you see actually indirectly as the movie starts with my career, then my relationship, then my role as a father, and then you don't really see us as a couple towards the end of the movie, right? Well, that's that's for a reason because our relationship was ending, and that my relationship has always been super important for me because that's your that's your refuge, that's your shelter, that's where you go back to. This is where you refuel and get the energy to go back and go back out there and you know fulfill yourself and reach your objectives. But then it inspires you to come back home, and all of a sudden I had nothing to come back to at home so all i had was just in the mountains and i started to almost you know be very pragmatic but kind of you know accept the darkness of that too you know but like you know i'm probably probably gonna die in the mountains and that's okay you know and uh i mean it could still happen but now it's you know since 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 then i've it's been you know um a long time since we separated like a year and a half something like that but I've, you know i've 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 met you know someone I've fully connected with again, so now I've reestablished my my existential triangle of you know true love, vocation, and fatherhood, and it feels liberating. But I felt like I was swimming upstream for eight years, but having a passion really helped me power through that dark moment and really digest and be able to you know move on. You know, so there's many ways I could have done it differently, but anyway, that was the darkest part for me for sure, and uh, and so I think it's it's. Again, 
it's so important to find, and all it takes is one person who you can just fully open up to and 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 express your your darkest, deepest traumas with. You come out of this and I've I've spent, you know, I spent six months of just crying, you know, like almost every day, you know, like putting myself to sleep, like crying at night and almost like a baby, you know, and that's uh, that's what it can look like. Yeah. And that's, but that's okay because it was needed for that digestion. And I feel just, I feel liberated as a person. And, and last year has been, again, it translated so well. It's, It's been one of my most successful years as an athlete, you know, and, and reached all my, you know, goals that I had for over 10 years and, and, you know, I'm super invested as a father. My son and I are very, very close and I have an amazing relationship. So it's everything has fallen back into place by having the 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 chance and I guess the willingness to to express, explore and digest. Mm. You know. Thank thank you for showing that strength <laughs> and vulnerability. No, seriously, man. Like I think My a, pleasure. <laughs> and a lot of a lot of men out there right now, I'm sure I'm that, that same point and what i love the image that you made is like you were swimming upstream but you were still swimming right and although like there was times where you were where it was dark and you probably didn't see out of wherever situation you were in like you kept taking it day by day and you kept taking it step by step and you kept pushing because you knew that at some point maybe you didn't know but now you know that at some point like it all passes and i think that that's such an important point that people need to understand is like whatever circumstance you're in right now it's just like any other emotion or any other feeling it is it is something that will pass yeah and but i think it's not an issue just focusing on it just passing i think it's it's just probably even one step further if i may i think it's just not thinking of it as a finality you know, yep. it's not the final stage. It's a stepping stone towards somewhere else. What is the summit that you want to reach? Keep the summit in mind, but don't focus just on the summit because then you're going to think that the route is never going to finish and you think of all the things you have to do to get there. You know, and that's why I always say success is in the vision, survival is in the details. And it's one of the motives that I developed throughout my reconstruction as an athlete after my big crash, you know, and, and I, you know, I always keep the, the summit of where I want to go in mind. But I focus on the next step that's going to lead me to the next step and to the next step. Focus on the steps to where you want to be. But don't forget about where you want to be. Otherwise, you're not going to be evolving through life with the direction, you know. And uh, and and I think swimming against current could be, you know, that feeling of being aimless too, you know. And I, again, luckily, I've had always that that passion for what I'm doing for my, my vocation, you know, but you can't just put that weight just on this, just like you can't put all your expectation and existential weight on a relationship. You know, it's like, you have to have identify, you know, I, I talked about that with our friend Thor, you know, from the group in the uncommon yeah, I love and uh, about um, decision fatigue, you know, it's something that I heard from him to avoid decision fatigue. Decision fatigue is when you have too many options at your fingertips and therefore you don't know what you choose. So therefore, having too many options affects your decision making. So if you identify at the most your top three, maybe five at the most, but I think that's even too much, the top three things that you want to do, 
or that are important for you or or let's say when I learn to fly a wingsuit, I focus on, okay, cool. So I got to focus on, you know, uh, when I'm doing my legs and my chest and, uh, and then I got to do this with my arms, you know, so I, or like, or I focus on my exit flight position and opening sequence. So focus on three things every time. And once you've mastered those three things, then move on to the next, right? That's how you develop skills. You can't think of like, okay, I'm going to learn to fly an airplane. There's 350 instruments in the cockpit. I got to pay attention to everything. You're not going to go anywhere. And that's what Thor was telling me when he was teaching through the Air Force. His worst students were the ones that were trying to pay attention to every single instrument. So he always told them to avoid decision fatigue, to identify their top three instruments. And then they've mastered their checklist. They have their top three instruments. They have the other ones they can rely on if they need them. But then they can fly with instinct. But they can't fly like that unless they've mastered already their checklist and their, uh, their three top items. And I think... You can do that in life as well, too, you know, and that's why I've had the chance to identify my existential triangle and my, I guess, uh, philosophical triangle of, you know, purpose, passion and pragmatism, you know, and it's not just trying to label things just to sound pompous. It's just to clarify and and um, to clarify ideas and and by just, yeah, developing this 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 frame of reference, then it's going to be a lot easier to you reach the top and so the suffering or the pain or the despair that you're experiencing in the moment is not final it is just part of that journey or where you're going to go it is a it is just a step in the process mm. that's all it is and I've, I've had the chance to learn that through base jumping you know when you approach a jump or something nerdy you've never done or or a crazy descent skiing or seemingly crazy but like a demanding ski descent when you when i climb for sometimes a day or two it's an emotional roller coaster and I used to overthink it and be like, oh, my God, maybe it's a sign. Oh, my God, the birds are flying on the left of the tree. It's a sign I shouldn't be jumping, you know, like yeah, some yeah. weird stuff like that. But then you realize, no, it's just I'm just overthinking. I'm overfeeling because I'm transitioning from this state of comfort to the state of survival. And I'm connecting with my environment. Mm. So a lot of the time, those this feeling of of despair or, or depression or sadness are simply because you're just overwhelmed. So take a deep breath, step back and assess with pragmatism what you need to do. Hmm. I love that, take, man. And I love how you yeah. I love how you title that together. And so what would your and I'm sure that the way you prepare for the stress and the the feelings before jumping I'm do you do do you practice mindfulness? Do you do cold plunges? Do you do any of these things that kind of prepare you for that? Or, or through your profession, what advice would you give to people who maybe feel like they're they're swimming upstream right now? Like, what actionable tips do do you implement? Um, so I I don't really do cold water plunges. Things. I mean, I do that sometimes more for health, for immunity. You know, like. Uh, uh, for treating injuries or like, you know, let's say I've been skiing so much and my knees are just screaming with pain in my ankles. So I just go and, you know, dip in the river when it's at zero degrees Celsius in the winter for like, mm -hmm. you know, a couple minutes and that feels really good, you know, yeah, yeah. uh, but it's more for physical pain than necessarily emotional well-being. Um, <clears throat> the one thing that I've learned is, uh, I did actually got my brainwaves measured by a doctor and for situations under stress and situations that went super smoothly. And I realized, I mean, the doctor realized that 
probably through my environment and performing in in an unforgiving environment i was able to uh clear my mind very quickly in order to perform right but i learned to practice that and a lot of it is just the good old technique of breathing mm-hmm. you know and uh this summer, actually, I had a new wingsuit, and I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm a better ski base jumper than wingsuit flyer. So I'm, I really got back into wingsuit fly a couple of years ago. Um, there's a lot of things I need to learn. I can fly them, but there's a lot of things I need to practice. Right. So I'm on the edge of this cliff in the Alps. I hiked alone because nobody was going base jumping that day, and I have a brand new wingsuit, and I'm on the edge of a cliff about to go, and it's <laughs> and there's some fog coming in and out, and I'm just scared. I am so freaking scared, and I'm just standing there at the edge with my feet, you know, over the edge of the rocks, just trying to gather my mind and hard to be able to push off this thing and fly away with the wingsuit. And that took 15 minutes to breathe deeply mm-hmm. and exhale powerfully to really just eliminate any muscle tension, increase blood flow, sharpness, empty my mind and reach that state of equilibrium between fear and excitement. You know, too much fear, not enough excitement. You're gonna be, you're gonna freeze, and you're not gonna do what you need. Too much excitement under, uh, over fear. You're gonna be complacent, and you're gonna crash and burn because you think you're too cool. So, <laughs> balance the two: your fear and your excitement. And I think, recentering through your breathing. Breathing is one of the best things you can do. And I don't, you know, I don't do meditations, things like that. I guess I mean I'm, I'm cheating. I guess you know, base jumping is a fast track meditation. You push yeah, off the cliff and within, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. an eighth of a second, you're like, you go, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and you push off, like, okay, I get this, you know. And then you that that you feel like an omnipresent person, you know. But uh, breathing is always the transition for me, and what helps me get into this. Um, this serene mindset, you know, that's why I said in my, in my new movie, uh, adrenaline sucks that I always take the time to breathe in the fear. Well, that can apply to every emotion. You can breathe in your anxiety. You can breathe in your stress. You can breathe in your depression. Mm. Dude, I, I love that picture that you just painted because the two things, cause I think it relates so well to the conversation that we've been having on vulnerability on mental health because when you are in that rut when you're in that that dark spot when you are thinking like hey i need help i need to reach out for someone i need to have a conversation it's terrifying right it's one of the hardest things that that you can do is to for people who haven't practiced it right like like it's 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 a skill right and it's a just like any skill being vulnerable is, is something you need to practice and, and continue to do. But the picture you just painted, right? You are sitting at literally the edge of a cliff about to jump <laughs> off, right? And you, this feeling of fear and anxiety of, I don't want to do this is there. And then you breathe. And then when you jump, you can compare that to like actually having the conversation or actually asking someone for help. The hard part isn't jumping for you, right? It's the thought of jumping. Yeah. And as soon as I'm in the year and I'm like, this is easy. I get this. No problem. You know, but it's everything leading to it. That is the most excruciating. Once you go, you're going, man. It's all going to be, it's all going to be good. But before, you know, I'm thinking of, 
thinking of my son, I'm thinking of my girlfriend, I'm thinking of my friends, I'm thinking about how I can crash. And then I recenter myself, like, okay, visualize the, 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 the right execution in your mind in a chronological order, push off, stable, power your wings, fly out, smooth, flare, open your parachute, land. You know, don't think, oh, flying, you know, pushing off, losing my balance, going, you know, heels overhead and flying back into the cliff. No, you don't picture in your mind the wrong chain of events. You picture the correct execution in order to replicate the correct execution. Mm. And you can do that in life too. You know, picture what you want, the steps you want to do in life. It's not picturing, oh, I want to be a billionaire on a yacht, you know. No, 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 no. It's, it's how are you going to, how you, you know what? Wake up in the morning, breathe, and visualize what you want your day to be like, actually. Prepare for your jump. Prepare for your day like you would prepare for your jump. Mm. I guess that's something that, you know, and and that 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 we need to do wake up in the morning and don't necessarily just jump straight. And I do that sometimes too. You jump straight into your emails and go, oh my God, I got all this. And then, you know, like social media is a big part of my job, unfortunately too. And I mean, Mine too, fortunately sucks. and unfortunately. Yeah. And so yeah. all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I'm checking my Instagram at like six in the morning. No, don't do that. Just get up, stretch, breathe, get your breakfast, get your day started, you know, set up a, a sequence to be able to to start right and visualize how you want, how your day is going to go, you know? And I would say, you know, perfect execution often requires a perfect recovery. So if you know where you want to go and all of a sudden, you know, you, you're driving to the mound because you have to go and ski that sweet powder, but all of a sudden you sliding sideways with your car. Well, just, you know, just, you know, downshift and don't hit the brakes and get in back straight into line. And then you'll be able to get to the mound. No problem. So, so recover your course of action. And but you can't recover your course of action if you don't have your heading. And so to have your heading is super important. So wake up with your heading every day. If you don't know where your heading is, then just get your head straight first. Take the time to breathe. Breathing is so important. And that's what I have that's my routine every time I go base jumping. I force myself to take two to five minutes to breathe at the edge of the cliff. And yeah, uh, it's something that I even need to practice more in life to be as present as I wish that I could be. You know, I'm a person who has a hard time being very present in daily life, which is probably why I ski and base jump because you have no choice but to be present while you're doing this. And uh, I try to practice this uh, presence and mindfulness, you know, uh, daily. And uh, we have so many distractions, so just. Can breathe in and visualize where you want to go. I think that's super important. Hell yeah. And you've said a lot of amazing things. If you could, is there one piece of advice that you would give someone who's right now at that spot that we've all been, right? In that, that darkness and that depression who maybe can't even see the next step or can't see out of it. What piece of advice would you give that person? Hmm. Um, that's a tough one because uh, I think people can be in, you know, different in this situation for different reasons, right? Uh, so I don't know if there's, uh, but the, from my experience, you know, so when I woke up in my 
after my crash in, in the hospital room in the Alps, you know, three days in a coma, I had a brain hemorrhage, fracture my femur, I had completely failed and crashed miserably like a rookie when I was supposed to be one of the top pros in my field in the world. And, and that happened three weeks before my child was about to be born, you know, so I couldn't even fly home right away. And I didn't even know if I could make it on time for the birth and I have all this in this, you know, um, in a way, yeah, huge guilt and deception, you know, of myself. But the one thing I hung up, I, I, I hung on to, uh, was, um, you know, the things that I looked forward to in life. And for me, that was, you know, some of my upcoming trips or projects. And I was like, okay, I'm in a, I'm in a state of, you know, I'm, I'm destroyed physically right now, so I got to really spend the time to rebuild myself. But the first thing I did when I got out of the coma was think of where I hung on to where I wanted to be in order to be able to. I remember the good times to look forward to the other fulfilling and good times to be able to power through the the difficult. And I think that's what's very, very important. And that's something, you know what, actually, one of the... <laughs> It's a simple thing, maybe, but um, and and it's not just trying to do a copy and paste. But let's say if, if people are in that state, read "Men's Search for Meaning" by Viktor Frankl. Okay. It's a book that I read a year after my sister passed. Our friend Thor, we just mentioned earlier, you know, mm -hmm. he survived a stage four cancer, and he, I think, he listens to that book on tape or reads it once a year as yeah. a reminder of what yeah. matters. And, you know, I only know one person who didn't, that book didn't really resonate with. So it's not, you know, something I couldn't necessarily apply to everyone. But if you're in that state, I think you'll be emotionally or mentally open to um, finding that, that, that why. And, and so to give a quick synopsis on the book, so Viktor Frankl, um, Jewish psychiatrist who survived the concentration camp, right? Um, uh, German. And the Nazis, you know, threw him in concentration camps. He lost all his loved ones and they destroyed all his work. And then he's realizing that, you know, he's this skinny intellectual that is somehow surviving while these people that are more, I guess, predisposed to survival around him are dying daily. And he's realizing, well, why am I still alive? And all these people are dying. Well, he realized that he had a goal past his suffering. You know, his goal was simple. He needed to restart and finish his work that the Nazis had destroyed. And that was his goal past, you know, surviving probably one of the most horrific experiences that anybody can go through, the concentration camps. And so he survived, finished his work, and wrote that book, Men's Search for Meaning. So he was working on the therapy called Logotherapy, which was to help find um, people a meaning to their existence. Not telling them what it is, but helping them through the mental approach of it, right? And um, he realized through his work that, I can't remember the exact number, but I think only 25% of his patients had clinical depression that might need to be balanced or offset by medication, mm -hmm. uh, you know, chemical imbalance in the brain and things are off. And unfortunately, it has to be, or fortunately, you know, it has to be, yeah, uh, needs to be addressed, yeah. calibrated or adjusted through chemicals, which, you know, our brain is chemical, a chemistry. That's all it is, right? But, um, but, he, but I also meant that 75% of his patients did not suffer from depression. They suffered from a lack of meaning. They didn't have a why. And the why is very personal. You know, for some patients, it was, you know, their family. For some patients, 
people and patients, it was their, their, their personal pursuits or whatever it is, but he helped them identify their why. And in all the cases where he helped his patients identify their why, their depression was cured, which means that he wasn't a clinical depression. It was just a lack of meaning and, mm -hmm. and, and purpose. So I would say for people that are uh, listening and uh, that are open to reading, you know, the book is only 250 pages. So it's not reading something massive and it's divided in two parts. You know, one is his experience through the concentration camps. And the second part is more um, hard facts about the logotherapy illustrated with examples throughout his life. So it's, it's a, but it's a powerful read. And I know for me, it helped me um, at 19 years old, it helped me identify and uh, digest a lot of the, the patterns that led to my sister's death and also, uh, being able to relate that to my life and solidify my meaning and why. And I read it again when I was 30, uh, 36. It's the only book I've read twice in my life. And I think it's a very, very powerful book. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, two pointers, breathe <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and find your why that's it. And, um, you know, and if it can be auto bibliotherapy, you know, which is a concept that Victor think, Frankel talked about, talks about in his book, doing your own therapy through reading, <laughs> you know, because you don't necessarily feel like you need to, or you don't feel comfortable seeking to a therapist or talking to someone, you know, maybe you're a complete, complete introvert and you need to just sit down and reflect yourself. Well, then, you know, that book, take some notes, write things down, jot down ideas as you're reading this, you know, create your, yeah, your existential triangle, you know, and I think that's one of the probably the, the 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 privilege that you and I have is that we've from an early age we've identified we've known what we wanted so powerfully that it helps us through some of the most gruesome experiences mm -hmm. because we we knew what mattered and what was important for our lives and uh, and and I think this this book can help. Uh, people with this you know he wrote it in nine days you know really he yeah he i think he had so much bottled up inside from his experience that you just need to pour out and obviously he was a very logical and thorough person and had it very structured in his mind but then just he wrote that book in nine days and it's a it's a masterpiece in my opinion hell yeah those are great actual insight and i think we success <laughs> i think we successfully brought it all together and I thank you, man, for, for your vulnerability and thank you for those tips. I know it's going to help a lot of people. Um, I want to give you the opportunity to say anything you'd like about your new film, which is, which is coming out. Adrenaline sucks. What do you want? The, <laughs> what do you want the listeners to know about it? Um, obviously, obviously the, when it's released is still in the air, but, um, we'll be keeping people up to date. Thank you. So yeah, adrenaline sucks. Um, it was, um, an open letter that I wrote because I'm tired of being called an adrenaline junkie because it is just a preconceived idea that poorly reflects the reality of action sports and its participants, you know, and you don't do it for the rush. There is a meaning behind this. It is not, um, you know, a mindless act just for a kick. Uh, it's something very deep and, and powerful for me. And uh, I can't speak for all the jumpers, but it was the opportunity for me to share my, my outlook and my truth. And for people who have watched the Super Frenchie movie, 
This, in many ways, it's a short documentary. Adrenaline Sucks is 12 minutes. Super Frenchie is a full-length you know, feature film, like 77 minutes. But in many ways, Adrenaline Sucks is pretty much the part two of Super Frenchie. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a, there, and there's a lot of contradicting, um, not not contradicting, but you see the other side of it, right? Rather than he, in, yeah. in, in kind of the preparation the behind the scenes. Super Frenchie was definitely a movie on the, the growth and the, the journey of self-creation, right? You know, living my passion. Adrenaline sucks is more, you know, looking back at my journey. You know, Super Frenchy was from, we, we filmed Super Frenchy from 24 to 35. Mm-hmm. I wrote Adrenaline sucks at 38. You know, I'm 39 now and the movie came out. And so it's it's more like a reflection of, let's say, a 40-year-old man looking back on his journey while still being in it. Because I'm still, you know, relevant in my field and uh, still, uh, you know, fortunate to to be leading the charge in the world of, you know, ski mountaineering and ski base jumping and things like that. So uh, I'm still at the, the, the top of my game. But now I I have been able to shift from trying to be a hardcore motherfucker to being a serene motherfucker. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's what I've found. I have the privilege. I've found serenity, I think, in, in life. And it's, you know, it's just, um, I was just in Paris, you know, uh, a week ago and had dinner, you know, with my sister and brother-in-law and, and, and my girlfriend and, and my sister was saying, wow, you, I've never seen you um, like this, you know, and uh, you're so serene. And I told her, well, I've, I've never had serenity in my life. And now I finally have it. And so I always say the first step in having passion is to live it. And the second step is to share it. And I think adrenaline sucks was not only um, a slightly irreverent tool to uh, break uh, a stigma or a cliche, it was truly, it's truly, it is an open letter mm-hmm. that is illustrated by images of some of my, you know, um, adventures in the mountains. And uh, I just fully opened my mind and heart in this. And hopefully that will, um, I broke down the whole process of what I do and why I do it. And, uh, and hopefully it will empower people to go on their own quest, you know, and uh, because everything we do has a meaning behind it. And we have to think about that. So Adrenaline Sucks is about this, yeah. And so the premiere was in Spain at uh, Mendy Film, which is a big mountain film festival. So it premiered December 12th in Spain. And uh, now it's going to come to uh, film festivals in the U.S. So I'll, I'll, I'll um, keep people posted through my social media on where the, the movie is going to play. And we are in the process of putting together a speaking tour, an Adrenaline Sucks speaking tour, where we'll you know, play the movie, have... Um, you know, a, um, uh, a speaking engagement with us pretty much where I can, you know, explain more about this because you can't summarize it all just in a 12 minute movie. This, then I can go more in depth and then obviously have a QA to interact with people, see, you know, their thoughts or, or what they, you know, what they want to reflect on. And, uh, I love having conversations. Obviously, I'm a very talkative person and, uh, I'm excited about taking this on the road to not only, show people but to actually share with people and interact with them so that's uh that's the plan <laughs> and where can people find you on social media so instagram is super frenchy official same thing on uh uh facebook and uh, otherwise i have a website superfrenchy.com and you can uh you can send a message there if you want to reach out you can also reach out to my manager carlos at superfrenchy.com so these are all the ways to get in touch <laughs> hell yeah man 
Well, I, dude, I, I appreciate the conversation so much. Um, I know I definitely learned a few things and have some, some actual, <laughs> actual things to, to move forward with. And dude, we got to set up some time to, uh, to ski ski together or, or uh you know do some that'd be, yeah, that'd be great awesome that'd be great yeah yeah let's make it happen and we should uh try to have like a an uncommon ski session that'd be yeah, cool dude, with, our, with our with our group of bros that'd be super fun yeah 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 jump off some shit and and yeah <laughs> have you so that's a question i had for you earlier have you uh done any skydives through your experience in the military oh or... i wasn't i wasn't in the military my brother was so yeah oh, I actually, your brother was. yeah so so i actually never served Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought so, you served, so I misunderstood that. Sorry, I apologize. No, so, no, no worries. Uh, no worries. I thought yeah, you were, but, okay. Well, yeah. So we gotta get you. We gotta get you to jump out of a plane then. Oh, hundred percent, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I went. I went to go skydiving one time. Um, like we were just about to go up, and then it was too cloudy, so they yeah. can, so they canceled it, and that was the last. Like I was like, like it was the most. Uh, it was an interesting experience because you had that that you know that fear and yeah. then they're just like oh they can't, kind of it, yeah yeah they can't go to that guy's like what the hell like we finally got ready to go but yeah dude let's uh let's do it yeah funny. yeah so i actually i never served and it's interesting back to purpose and passion because it's like i can relate to a lot of people who have um yeah without actually having to serve because we've all lost people um and that's where my passion and, and my service is through through helping those who have served so well that's uh that's that's admirable and uh yeah thanks for doing that you know it's uh yeah we need to we need to share constructively you know and it's uh i think you know i i um i would say you know i, I love your reverence i think i do like shock value you know i think it's very um helpful too but to shock to shock just to shock is not helpful right you got to have constructive irreverence and i think the same thing has to apply to vulnerability you know don't be vulnerable just to 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 pour your heart out in, in a not constructive way, you know, have constructive irreverence and constructive vulnerability. Yep, 100%, man. <laughs> That's how you're going to progress. I mean, I think from my humble opinion. <laughs> no, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. All awesome, right, man. Brent. I appreciate you, brother, in. for the time. Yep. Enjoy skiing today and uh, we, we will, we will talk soon. Sounds good. Cheers, man. Peace. See ya. See ya. <laughs>